All right. We're, uh, I'm, I'm really pumped up. We're starting a new sermon series today, and I'm really excited about it. Um, I've got to do a lot of work to do on it, but I'm really excited about it. Um, and this is just the introduction today, but let me get started with this. I wanted to ask you guys a question. You just sat down, so I can't have put you asleep yet, right? Uh, so, but let me ask you, um, what is it that you need from God? What is it that, you, that when you find yourself in need, what is it that you go f- to him for? What do you, what do you need from him? Your time, go ahead and answer out loud. No one else can hear you otherwise. Grace, peace, someone said. Oh, yes, this is great. Good job, everyone. One at a time, though. So, yes, I'm sorry, forgiveness, yes, and wisdom, comfort, direction, healing. I didn't understand this one over here. What was that? Understanding, yes. Someone else? Forgiveness. Power. Someone else? Strength. Ruth, I'm sorry. Patience. Yes. Yes, I need much patience. Yes. What else? I'm sorry. Guidance. Yes. What else? James. Love. Yes. Hope. Yes. Comfort. What else? Health. Yes. All right. Um, Here's the thing, uh, is that when you read in the scriptures, and boy, you don't have to go very back very far, um, when you start reading in the scriptures, God starts making promises about what he will be for us, right? And the very first time that I can, could think of it, uh, as I was thinking about it, was in, uh, in Genesis chapter 12, I believe it is, where God is speaking to Abraham, and he said, I will be your shield and your very great reward, right? He doesn't say, now, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little worked up here. Let me apologize in the beginning. Um, I'm going to get a little worked up here because um, a lot of people think that the way that God supplies our needs is he just gives us more material stuff right? He makes us more successful at work and brings in more money, more income, and that's the way that God supplies for all of our needs, right? Well, that's uh, really the main problem with that. It doesn't really agree with Scripture. Um, But besides that, no, not really. Um, It's it's really, it's a hijacked gospel, and anywhere you go that you hear that, you need to leave. But anyway, um, uh, what what we hear over and over and again is that you remember uh, in Matthew where Jesus was speak, speaking, he told this parable. He said, he said, there's this guy, he stumbles upon a field, and there in the field he finds buried, what, treasure, very cool, right? right. Anytime you find buried treasure is very cool um, in, in any aspect. Uh, but he finds this treasure, and in his what, does it say, in his what? Joy, he goes and sells everything he has. It's a clearance sale at his house. He's selling everything so that he can go buy this field. And the treasure in the field is what? It's God himself. It's God himself. It's not um, that now that I've become a Christian, God's going to meet all my material needs and I'll have all the money and health and wealth that I ever will need. That's just not the case. Um, the case is that um, he'll meet needs that we're maybe not even aware of at a level that we don't really even want to deal with sometimes, right? Uh, but he is the great treasure in the parable of the field uh, of the buried treasure. Moses described, uh, to, God, to Moses, God described himself. Moses said, tell me who you are. 
and show me yourself. And God described himself. He says, I am uh, compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, uh, maintaining love and forgiveness in wickedness and rebellion and sin. He's described in Scripture as the God who hears. He's the God who sees me. He's the God who provides. He's the God who heals me. He's the God who is present. He's the God who is peace. He's the God who is my righteousness. Amen. God is seen in the Scriptures as being the unending source of light and life and joy and truth and wisdom. He's seen in, in Jeremiah chapter 2 and 17 and John chapter 4 and Revelation chapter, chapter 21. He's seen as a spring of living water, this unending uh, uh, source of life and, and living water for anyone who would come to him. And, and the spring of living water is this, is that it never runs dry. It never runs out. It doesn't matter how many times you go and you dip your bucket into the stream. There's always more water. It is unending uh, it, is, it, is not, it has no limits. It will always be there for us to go and to dip our, water in the bu- our bucket in the water and to take and drink the living water. Uh, pretty amazing stuff about who God is. He is, in th- to the psalmist, what does he say? The psalmist says, Lord, you are my rock. You're like my fortress. You're my shelter. When I was in trouble, I ran and I hid myself in you, and you are my safety and my protector and my strength. He says, to, he says in the Psalms that he's the giver of joy and he's the giver of comfort uh, and he's the God in whom we delight. He says that he provides wisdom and strength to those who ask him. And he says, actually, he'll provide wisdom to anyone who asks. Um, he is the one who shows mercy and forgiveness and love over and over and over again in the Scriptures. No matter how many times his people rebelled, he was always loving them, always a persistent, unending love and a, 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 a very, um, what's the word, a very uh, um, unending, a very stubborn love that he had for his people, that no matter how badly they neglected or forsook him, he always loved them. He's the one who brings salvation and redemption to us. We did not find it ourselves. Jesus is referred to as the author and the finisher of our faith. And so our hope that we actually have eternal salvation and that we've actually gained what we want here in, in the salvation of our souls is whole not in my ability to obey him, but in his ability to maintain me and hold me and preserve me by his spirit until the day that he'll be revealed again. Amen. Amazing stuff. The richness of God is something that can be ever, forever be explored, but it can never be fully fathomed. We can always explore it. You and I can talk, and I can, t- I can ask you what you've discovered in God, what you've discovered about him that makes him so uh, glory, so, uh, the, so majestic and so full of glory and honor and majesty and power, and you're going to have a little different idea than I have because he is so massive and so majestic and so glorious that you found something different than I've found, right? Very similar, but, but he, it's just the expanse of God. He is there, and he meets every need that we have. I remember when I heard that when I was a kid, I didn't understand it whatsoever, and I thought, how could God fulfill all my needs when I need so much stuff, right? That's because we're pretty unaware of our needs when we're younger, aren't we? Uh, But anyway, um, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4 says this, since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, No eye has seen any God besides you. Let me stop there for just a moment. 
He says, since ancient times, no one, no one has ever heard of a God like our God. No ear has heard, no, no, uh, n- no ear has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has ever seen a God besides you. And what does it say about God specifically? Who acts on behalf of those who wait on him. This is a pretty amazing part, a pretty amazing aspect about what God's like. But he not only is the source of all of those things that you guys said, and so much more than we could ever list here if we had another thousand years, but he's willing to meet our needs. He's willing to work on our behalf, and he does it with gladness and delight. It is amazing. I remember when I was in college, I was um, at First Baptist Church, and I remember we had a, there was a bad drought that year, and uh, as a freshman, and, and uh, you know, everyone was, was praying for, for rain. And, and I remember uh, several of us asked the pastor there at the time, um, uh, do you think it's okay for us to be asking God for rain? And he said, I think God is honored when we ask him to meet our needs. Um, I had no idea. I had no clue at the time. But I'll tell you more. I'll tell you this. He is more than honored. He is all of those things and wants to be all of those things for us. Amen? And he delights in showing himself as being the source of everything that you need and you desire in your life. That sounds like a huge statement, doesn't it? But I'm not backing away from this because it's true. And when you talk to your neighbors and you find that they have need for forgiveness in their lives, you need to be as, as explicit as the Bible is in saying that he will forgive your every sin and you don't have to walk in guilt or shame anymore because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And he will forgive you completely and wholly. And you will not have to walk with that anymore. When you find someone that's struggling in, in, uh, in, uh, because of things that are going on with their lives, you know, sickness or illness or, or financial gift difficulties, you don't need to be embarrassed to say, God can be your rock and your shelter. He will be there for you. He will, you can hide in the, in the cleft of his rock, right? You can be there and he will cover you and protect you. Uh, for those who lack wisdom, he says, right, in James, he says, anyone who asks wisdom, ask God who gives abundantly, right? Uh, for someone who needs guidance, say, he will guide you every day of your life if you'll let him, if you'll open up your heart and you'll let him. He'll do that for you. He wants to meet needs in the lives of his people, amen? He loves to do it. He delights in it. He delights whenever we come to him, like, uh, like come to a, to a stream and say, I'm so needy for you. And he said, let me be what you need. Let me be the one that you run to. Let me be the one. There's a passage in one of the major prophets. I can't remember which one right now, but one of the prophets where, um, where, um, where God's telling him, he said, you keep going to the Baals and you keep going to to these false gods. And he says, one day you're going to wake up and, and I'm just going to let you. I'm just going to let you go there. You just go to your bell and you see what they do for you. Um, and he basically says, I'll, I'll leave you to them if that's what you want, if you're not going to look, after, look to me. Um, but here we go. Because, and so here's the deal. Because we are so empty and because God is so full, because we are so destitute and he is so abundant. Because we are so limited and he is so limitless. Because we are so needy and he is so desiring to meet our need. You ready? Okay, here's where this all comes about. When God's people don't go to him with their needs, it's appalling to him. All right? Now follow with me. In Jeremiah chapter 2, I, I quoted this verse a little bit last week, but Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 
This is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, and he says, be appalled at this. Okay, this is God speaking. And when God says, be appalled at something, we all need to stand up and take attention because this is apparently really, really bad, right? When God says to the heavens, be appalled, O heavens, at this. This is disturbing. This is appalling, O heavens, and shudder with great horror. Do you hear these words out of God's mouth very often? It doesn't happen very often. But he says about this one thing, we're going to re- get, it, get there in just a moment. But he says, be appalled and shudder with great horror, be- declares the Lord. And he says in verse 13, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Okay, so what's he say? What, what are the heavens supposed to be appalled? What are we supposed to shudder at with great horror? He says, the people have forsaken me, the spring of living, living water, and they've built their own cisterns to carry water. So what's he saying? They have gone to other gods. They have gone to other places than besides me to meet their needs. When they needed to be rescued, when they were praying for their crops, when they were praying for their children's, they ran off and chased after the Baals. They ran off and chased after these false gods. And he says, and they forsook me. You see, God wants and desires to meet needs in your life. And when you don't go to him for that, he is appalled. That's amazing. When you need strength to get through your day, he says, come right here. Come to me. When you need shelter from your trouble, he says, come right here to me. When, when, when your children are struggling, when, when they're making bad decisions, that never happens in our home. I, that was just a joke. Um, <coughs> I'm sorry. <coughs> Choke my, crack myself up there. Um, when they're making bad decisions and you don't know what to do with them, that happens often. Uh, when you don't know what to do with them, he says, you come to me for wisdom. Uh, uh, when, you're, when you're sick, you come to me for healing. Right? And, and, and I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to tell you that you never, ever need to seek out a doctor or all those things. But, but listen, when you and I don't look to God to meet our needs, he's appalled. He says, why would you go somewhere else when I am all of those things that you said and we read and we experienced from the, the Old Testament and the New Testament about what all God is? Why would you go somewhere else? Why would you go chase after that significance somewhere else? But we certainly have that tendency, don't we? We have the tendency to go and shop around to get our needs met because, you know what, it's easier if I can get my needs met through some material something, right? It's easier when I can, when it's someone, it's somebody other than God, than, you know, someone I could go to and, hey, yeah, uh, be this for me, you know, be my strength, make me feel significant. Like the woman in John chapter 4 who was, had one man in her life after another and Jesus said, if you drink the water that I give you, you'll never thirst again. But you keep going back there, you're never going to get over your thirst. That's an incredibly loose paraphrase. I'm sorry about that. But uh, anyway, you get the idea. The amazing thing is this, and, and I, I keep coming to this, but the amazing thing is that God does not say, why are you so needy? What is wrong with you people? Can you just go and leave me alone? He never says that. It's not like he's... Maybe like us parents who sometimes have had, you know, are up to here with our children. We just say, can you give me five minutes without you talking? You know, I, I'm sure that's never happened to you. 
Uh, but yeah, were you thinking, wow, I've just had enough. Can you give me five minutes so I can, you know, think for, for five seconds? It's never like that with God because he is that never-ending source. We're not the never-ending source, correct? Right? You cannot be all for your child, can you? You can't be all for them that, that they need. But you can point them to the one who is. Amen? And other people as well. All right. I tell you, uh, okay, it's about 15 till, and now we need to get in the text. Okay, Revelation chapter 3. If you please, if you have your Bibles with you, Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be looking at uh, one of the, the last letter to the churches uh, from Jesus. Now, um, let me give you just a brief background. John has this revelation. John has been exiled to Patmos. Um, a bunch of the other uh, disciples, the apostles, have been, at this point, have been martyred. John's one, the last one. He's basically the only one who doesn't, is not martyred that we believe from church history. Uh, but anyway, he gets a little longer life than the rest of them. And late in his life, he has a revelation. Um, and the revelation is of someone. Who is it? Jesus Christ. If you're new to church, Jesus is always a good guess. All right. <clears throat> so in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, read with me. Let me, let me explain real, something really quickly about Laodicea. Laodicea is a city that's there in Asia Minor and is a very important city. They've got, it's a pretty incredible, pretty successful little city. They have their own banking and industry. They're very involved in trade. Uh, they are famous for their wool. They have a very, um, very uh, glossy black wool. They don't know if they produced it there or they just sold it there. But a uh, very wealthy community. Matter of fact, in uh, 80, I want to say 17, um, in AD 17, the city was, um, was destroyed by an earthquake, and they refused help from the Roman government. They said, we don't want your help. We're going to rebuild ourselves. And so with their own money, they rebuilt their entire city because they're a very wealthy place, very wealthy in commerce, very wealthy in banking, uh, very wealthy in trading. So um, anyway, the church in Laodicea. So now this is the church to whom? To the, this is a letter to the church in Laodicea, all right? Not to a bunch of lost people. It is a letter to the church in Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Who's this a letter from? Again, Jesus is the right answer. It's amazing, isn't it? Twice in a row. Yes, I know. It's odd. Uh, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I'm sorry, neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or, or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, let's go through this just a little bit here, verse by verse. In verse um, 14, it says, These are the words of the Amen. Jesus referred to himself here as the amen. What's the amen mean? I'm sorry? Amen means what? So be it, yes. This is Jesus saying, I am the so be it. In other words, he's the one that's making it all happen. He is the sovereign one. No matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's going on in the affairs of man, he is the sovereign one who says what will be done, right? He is the amen, the so be it. 
Um, and he says, I'm the true and faithful witness. John expressly wrote, previously wrote about Jesus being the truth, right? He is the truth. He is truth. Um, and he says, now the one who's speaking to you, I am the faithful one. I am the true witness and the ruler of God's creation. Not only we know, that, of course, that Jesus existed before creation, but he actually rules over it all uh, at God's right hand. All right. Um, in verses 15 and 16, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot, cold nor hot. I, don't, I can't say cold nor hot. I wish that you were one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Um, the Laodiceans were, um, were lukewarm water, right? And the writer here, or the, Jesus as he's speaking, he says, this is, this is disgusting <laughs> to my palate, and I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. All right, the question I'm going to ask you is this. What caused the Laodiceans to be lukewarm? All right, ponder that for a moment. Why were they lukewarm? Look in verse 17 with me. It says this. You say, this is Jesus quoting them, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. All right. Will this preach in America? Okay. You ready? Will this preach in the United States? I am rich. I have, I've gained wealth. I've gathered up for myself. And now I need what? Nothing. Okay. Here's the problem with the Laodiceans. They've gathered wealth, and their physical needs are being met easily. They have all the food they need. They are very wealthy. They have lots of money. They feel uh, secure because, you know, they've, they've moved into neighborhoods where they, uh, where they don't feel like they have any trouble anymore because, you know, all the bad people, I'm sure, have mo been moved out. Uh, or they've moved to, to places where they don't have bad people anymore. And so they've gathered so much wealth that they don't feel any need anymore. All right? Here's the problem, though, is that while they were content with their material wealth, they didn't realize that they were spiritually impoverished, right? They were spiritually impoverished. They had enough stuff in this life that they didn't feel any need, but really deep down, Jesus is going to say something pretty amazing to them. This would be amazing to say to, uh, to some rich folk, wouldn't it? But um, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Wow, that's pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? I'm sure they were like, what, me, poor, poor, poor naked, what, what? Yeah, not any of those things. Uh, yeah, but uh, he says you are all of those things. Of course, Jesus is pointing out where they are spiritually is that you guys don't feel like you have any need, but I'm telling you, you have a need deeper than you know. You are poor, wretched, naked, blind, and I'm missing something. Pitiful, wretched, uh, rough, wretched, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Uh, and um, so let me get back to my question. Why were they lukewarm? Let's turn to Luke, which is only funnily uh, related. Luke chapter 7. Let's turn to Luke to see why they're lukewarm. Um, Luke chapter 7, verses 41 and 42. Jesus, here's the deal. Jesus was just anointed by a sinful woman, all right? Sinful woman comes. You remember she breaks the perfume. She anoints his feet. You remember that story? And the Pharisees are there, and they're like, that could have been sold. That, you know, that was valuable. That could have been sold and given to the poor. And Jesus uh, says this. Of course, here's the deal. The woman is a sinful woman. The Bible doesn't mix words. This woman was full of sin, right? And she comes and she anoints Jesus' feet. In verses 41 and 42, Jesus is talking and he says this. He, he was telling uh, Simon, he was telling him this really brief parable. He said, two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. 
uh, denarii was about a day's wages, all right? So 500 denarii would be about 500 days of wages, right? So about, what is that, a year and a half of wages. The other 50, okay? So one guy owed him a year and a half. One guy owed him about a month and a half or two months of, of wages. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debt of them both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Jesus spoke so simply in parables, didn't he? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Peter's always cracking me up. Um, You have judged correctly, Jesus says. Okay, why did the one who had the bigger debt canceled, why did he love him more? Yeah, he had more debt to forgive. Can I tell you this? He understood his need. The guy who had a year and a half to pay back versus a couple of months, I'm sure was thinking, how am I going to do that? How am I going to pay this back? I, I can't, you know, I, 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 how am I going to meet, how am I going to pay this back? And can I tell you this is the deal? He knew his need and it was satisfied by the money lender, right? All right, now back to Revelation chapter three. Why are the Laodiceans so lukewarm? They don't know their need. They were satisfied with the material junk up here, the material stuff. So much so, so satisfied with the, with the wealth, with their clothes, with their city, with their living, that they didn't know that they were spiritually bankrupt. And they didn't go to God and said, meet our need for mercy. Meet our need for forgiveness. Meet my need for strength. Meet my need for for wisdom because they had so much stuff that it had blinded their eyes to the truth. And because they didn't know their need for God, they didn't look at him and say, we need you, we, we have need for you in our lives. They said, I have enough stuff, I'm good. Remember, this is what Jeremiah said was appalling to God. Be appalled. They didn't know their need for God. Um, how do you think Jesus responds to people who don't know that they need him? Um, let me tell you what I know about this. Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches, right, in Revelations. This is the only church that he makes no commendations for anything they're doing. All, right, all the other six churches... Jesus said something positive about something they were doing. But the church in Laodicea, he has nothing positive to say to them. He doesn't commend them for anything. Pretty amazing. In fact, he told them something very comforting. You are wretched, poor, pitiful, naked, and blind. Right? All right. Um, so what, how, how does God respond? How does Jesus respond to them? What does he tell them to do? So he say, you guys just need to wake up and realize that you're just spiritually broke. Now, he says he's very gentle, very kind, isn't he? He says, I counsel you. Are you ready? He says, I counsel you. I tell you, I'm, I'm trying to give you instruction and wisdom. He says, I counsel you to buy from what? Me. You come to me. Sound familiar? Sounds like maybe what we've been talking about the rest of the sermon. Yeah, funny how it's all linked. Um, he says, you come to me and you buy gold from me refined in the fire so you can become rich. What is he talking about there? Do you think he's talking about literal gold? No. He's talking about things that have true value. He says, you come and buy my gold, 
very similar to what Jesus told the woman at the well. You come and you take the water that I will give you because it is satisfying. He tells the Laodiceans, you come and you buy gold, my gold, from me, right? He's talking about things that have true value like forgiveness, like mercy, like grace, like the God's strength and his wisdom. He says, you come to me and you find those things and you will be rich, right? Not in the sense of having a lot of money jingling in your pocket, but in the sense of knowing what this life is about and knowing how we can be aligned and connect, reconnected with God. He says, you want to be rich, uh, you come and buy from me. He says also, he says, he counseled them to buy from me gold. Now he says, and white clothes to wear to cover your shameful nakedness. The clothes so many times in the scriptures are, are a, a, a symbolism of having our sin covered over, right? Like the, when the prodigal son comes home and he says, bring Bring the uh, uh, robe, bring, bring the robe, and we're, we're going to put it over him. And it's this idea of that we're going to cover the shame of nakedness. And he says, I'm going to cover the shame of your sin. I'm going to cover it over you. If you'll come to me, you can put on the white clothes that I'm going to provide for you, and it's going to cover your sin because the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ is imputed to us who are believers. In other words, his righteous life is put on our sinful, shameful, naked sin, and we come out looking like people in beautiful white robes of righteousness. And he says, you come and buy white clothes from me, and I'll clothe you in white robes. I'll clothe you in my righteousness, and all of your sinfulness and all of your shame will be covered over by me. That's a pretty awesome promise, isn't it? He says, salve, to open their eyes. Listen, uh, Paul would write that the eyes of unbelievers are blinded to the light of the gospel, or blinded to the glory of the gospel, I'm sorry, blinded to the glory of the gospel. And everyone who doesn't know to follow Jesus Christ, their eyes have been blinded. But can I tell you, there's something here that he's saying to believers, because this is a letter to the church who, that's full of believers where their eyes have been blinded. And he said, if you'll come to me and buy salve from me, I'm going to open your eyes so that you can see. And when they, if they would do that, if they would go to God and they would see and they would ask things like the psalmist said, search me and know me and try me. Know, you know, teach me my own ways. Teach me what, what's going on in my heart and my life. He says, if you'll buy salve from me, you'll understand. And they would begin to see their condition, right? That, yeah, they had material wealth, but they were spiritually impoverished bankrupt, completely needy from God. He says, you buy salve and it'll open your eyes. You'll see the truth. You'll see the way the world really is, not just in this uh, cocoon that you've built with yourself, for yourself, with your wealth. Verse 19, he says, those I love, I discipline. I'm beginning to see struggles is what we call them in our house because sometimes Brenda's husband gets uh, his words confused, but um, struggles. I mean, these things struggles a little bit differently than I used to. There are a way that God refines us and shows and demonstrates his love. Hebrews chapter 12 says this uh, just perfectly, better than I could ever say it. Uh, anyway, pick that up, read that sometime, Hebrews chapter 12. And what does he say to them? Okay, these people who are caught up in their wealth and feel so very secure and are not feeling any need to, from God, he says, be earnest and repent. Okay, now let me back up here for just a moment. These people who are blind to their spiritual condition, 
but understand full well about what their richness and their wealth has bought for them, he says, repent of your life. Be earnest and repent of it because you have not needed me and yet you don't know that you need me. He said, you repent of that. You repent of it. Um, yeah, and how about this? Why are you, yeah, and they needed their eyes open and they needed to repent of this deal that they were so satisfied with their wealth that they felt no need for God. It's a dangerous place to be, amen? Uh, let it not be so of us. The Lord help us. All right, in verses 20 through 22, here's the amazing thing. You've heard it before when a uh, pastor was preaching and he said, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who opens the door lets me in, I will come and eat with him and he with me. And that was given as an invitation for non-believers. Who's the letter for? Who's he saying? Okay and, and, okay, and so in this picture, Jesus is given this little middle image. He's saying, the people on the inside are who? The church. And who's on the outside? Jesus. Okay. He says, in the church, you've left me out. You've not known your need for me, and so you've excluded me from your fellowship. But if you'll open the door and let me in, we're going to have fellowship like you can't believe. It'll be sweet. It'll be like two people, friends who get to gather over dinner together and get to eat good food and drink good drink. It'll be that kind of fellowship if you will open the door and let me in. And the question is, if you'll give me a little bit of latitude, how does we open the door? Jesus says, you're needy and I'll meet the need. Does that work for you? Does that preach? You're needy and I know how to meet your need. I'm the source of living water. I'm the spring of life. I'm the giver of light. I invented it all. I'm the source for all of these things. When you have need, you come to me. When we open that door to him, he comes, and not as only is there fellowship, but there's deep need in us that is met, that can be met nowhere else. Amen? Amen. The reason I call this series the rewarder is this. In Hebrews chapter 6, I'm sorry, chapter 11, verse 6. The writer of Hebrews is talking about what faith is, and, um, and he says two very simple things about what faith is. In verse 6, he says, Without faith it is impossible to, ple to please God, because anyone who comes to him must, are you ready? He says two things, believe that he exists, one. And the second thing is, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Here's the nature of God. When you go to him and you search for him and you go to him with your needs to say, I need to know your forgiveness or I need your strength in my life or I need to go and hide in the cleft of your rock or I need to go and I need to feel your grace. I need to know your mercy. I need wisdom for dealing with my children. I need help in my trouble. I've got things going on all around me. He says, when you go to me, when you come to me, remember, I'm a rewarder of people who seek me. That's an amazing aspect about God, but he delights in doing good for us. Amen? It is his nature. This is something that he's passed on to you and I as parents, right? When we can do something special for our children, it makes us happy because it makes them happy. God has imparted that to us. This is part of his nature. He loves to do good for us. Amen? He loves to do good for us. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, so much of our lives, maybe we've been taught so much that Christianity is about discipline and duty, 
and that you give us marching orders and we're just supposed to go do stuff for you and we're supposed to win thousands and preach the gospel everywhere we go. But so many times we've, uh, maybe somehow we've forgotten while there is obedience and there is uh, duty in the Christian life, maybe we've forgotten this, that it's really all about you. It's really all about you and, and you being the source of living water and life and, and righteousness and, and grace and mercy and us finding that in you. And, and how are we supposed to really go make disciples if we don't know who you are? If we don't know what you do? If we don't know that you are the, the spring of living water? So Father, I pray that you would make us deeper disciples. I pray, Lord, that you would make us... Uh, uh, pursuers of you, people who, who seek after you because you reward those who, who seek after you. Oh God, we thank you for that part of your nature. We thank you and we praise you for being a, that you delight in showing us your goodness, that you delight in being our strength and our light and our righteousness. You delight in showing us your love and your grace and your mercy. So Lord God, if you wouldn't do it, we wouldn't find it anywhere else. Lord, be our God. May we be your people. It's in Jesus Christ's great name. Amen. Amen. Amen.